Hey, Dave. Thanks for joining us. Nice Hello. to see you. Cheers, Rich. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to this week's six sessions. I'm excited to introduce today's guest because he's one of only a handful of people where I genuinely look forward to his LinkedIn post. I go as far as saying he's the funniest person in my feed with a healthy, healthy dose. Oh, fuck, I really balls that up already. I'll start that. <laughs> again. I go as far as saying he's the funniest person in my feed with a healthy dose of sarcasm mixed with relatability. Honestly, he's someone I admire and I outright wish I was that funny. Today is about copy, the stuff that can make the difference between a sale and someone walking away, but also about humor. It's about positioning and it's about growing a personal brand, a term I was specifically asked to use by today's guest. This session is going to be about growth through words and moving away from the drivel everyone else is posting. He's someone who has professionally always been a wordsmith from football journalism to writing university web copy to agency side to running his own renowned copy shop with clients like Nespresso, Land Rover and the BBC. I also have absolutely no idea what he does in his spare time. And I've I've not asked him yet, but he is our first six session scouser and also the only guest I've ever rickrolled prior to a talk. The six sessions have given me the opportunity to chat with someone, uh, some amazing people in the growth space. And today's guest definitely ticks that box. These chats are designed to be short and sweet and hopefully full of insight. And it's definitely unfiltered, which is the fun bit and may or may not be pushed to its limits today. Joining us from Liverpool, it's my pleasure to introduce to you Dave Harland, the word man. Dave, welcome. Thank you so much. Wow, that's amazing. That makes me sound so much more professional and a lot I'm better than I really am. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm just winging it, mate. Yeah. <laughs> so first up, LFC or the People's Club? Oh, LFC, absolutely. And I know um, we'll probably be talking about kind of authenticity and stuff later on. Um, Jürgen Klopp is the embodiment of authenticity. So if you, if you, uh, you know, want to understand a little bit about how to kind of be yourself and portray yourself in a, in a really kind of authentic way, um, have a look at the way Jürgen Klopp conducts himself in interviews and after after matches and stuff. So I, I used to, so my brother-in-law is a, a massive Everton fan, and I always had like a I, the underdog. I love that kind of underdog mentality about it. And then Fat Frank went there, and now I'm kind of team team Liverpool now. So it's. Nice I'm one. A West Ham fan. Anyway, we digress. How was how was 2021 for you? Yeah, it was it was good. I mean, I know it, obviously it, it was the, the kind of uh, the end of uh, or the, the second year of, of COVID, so it was pretty shitty for everybody else. But you know, I'm quite selfish because I had my my first uh, or we had our first child, little boy Jack. So um, yeah, I'll always look back on it as a good year. And business wise, yeah, I'd, I'd kind of doubled down on the amount of. Um, um, kind of marketing and, and posting that I was doing on LinkedIn to promote my business um, during the lockdown. So um, I was kind of seeing the fruition of that as I'd, I'd got more followers and stuff. So yeah, not a not a bad year, but not a bad year. Yeah. So what what is your main business? What do you do? Um, so I basically help businesses and brands speak to their audience, their people, their um, clients, customers with more clarity um, and more personality, as they've typically um, started off. Um, especially the, the smaller businesses and the startups, written their own stuff, and it's it's pretty drab. And then they'll come to me and say, "Can you make it a lot more engaging and add a little bit of a little bit of funniness to it?" You're so you're a copywriter, and like, what what drove you into the copywriting space? I kind of fell into the copy side of things um, when I was in my last full time role before I went um, full time freelance. I started off in journalism. That was my background. Loved English as a kid and 
went to uni to do journalism where I learned that kind of how to write professionally. Um, and then after uni, um, yeah, got a job as or the, the, the main kind of job I had before going into copywriting. I was a editor of the customer uh, magazine for that company. And at the time, I still thought I was doing journalism, but, it, you know, it wasn't. It was copy. It was all kind of designed to, um, you know, persuade the customers to keep coming back. So it was retention. Um, and it was, yeah, about probably three years into that role, um, the, the marketing director said, do you want to be our copywriter now, as opposed to just our customer newsletter? So there's me on Google, ah, what's copywriting? So, yeah, and it, it wasn't, like I said, I'd already kind of been doing it in promoting the products and, and kind of, you know, pushing the, the nice family-friendly ethos of the company, I suppose. So um, when he said, do you want to be the copywriter, it was more, you know, writing the direct mail, um, emails, writing the, the product catalog. So I really learned more about the, the ins and outs of the persuasive writing. Um, but yeah, it's all it's all just stemmed from a love of writing, really. And so you, I mean, you were agency side, you had some, what I presume were like some stable jobs. Why, why break out on your own? I'd been there about 10 years and I was, even though they had about five businesses within the group, I was just getting a bit bored. Um, and I, I was already kind of looking at, other ways that I could either branch out, go to, go to another company or br- kind of branch out on my own. So I was started off doing a few little bits and bobs for, for content mills for really low pay. Um, and then one of my um, one of my mates who just left probably two years before, he joined an agency in Dubai um, and just approached me out the blue and said, do you want to be doing um, one, of our, one of our website copy for us? So I was like, yeah, yeah, let's give it, give it a blast. And it, it just went from there, really. Done my me me first little project away from the day job. And thought, wow, I can make money doing this. Um, set up uh, a portfolio, I made my own website, branded myself as the, <laughs> the word man, um, and kind of just went from there. Yeah, and within probably nine months, I was making more on the side than I was in the, the kind of day job. So it made sense to, to go all in on that. So that was 2016. Uh, we just had a comment from David saying it looks like the closed captioning is struggling to translate Scouse. Oh, it always does. It always does. It hasn't got a clue. <laughs> so personal branding, it's a, it's a very wanky term, and it's kind of a, a hot topic that everybody's talking about to a certain degree at the moment. What is it that drove you to start focusing on yours? I suppose it was, I mean, I completely agree. I hate the, I hate the phrase. Personal branding is just being yourself. If you look at it that way, you avoid any kind of, you know, awkward terminology, which is, the second you start seeing yourself as a brand, you fall into the, the kind of brand marketing bullshit uh, mentality and start using those phrases. So um, when I started- for, a, for an agency to sell service, if if we go into a boardroom and say, just be yourself though, though we have to call it something. Yeah, I know, I know it's got to be given a name, but I think, it, I think it, in practice, I just see it as being myself. So when I started kind of doing more of that, being more myself, it was um, it was when LinkedIn changed um, its its front end to look more like Facebook, so it was a news feed. It was it was the first kind of time I thought professionally I can start writing stories here and marketing myself, um, and nobody else was really doing that. They just saw it as an extension of their CV. They were putting updates about you know what they'd done in work, and it just what I could see straight away. It just wasn't engaging. So I thought, there's my chance here. I can. Um, <laughs> I can brand myself, <laughs> but um, yeah, I can brand myself. I can I can be seen as the go-to person or the the, the one person who's doing um, anything but boring. So I made everything about the reader. Nothing was really about me. It was all about what they're going to get out of it, whether that's learning a little bit about copy, 
whether it's just having a bit of a laugh. Um, and, and that was it, really. And then the strategy kind of focused more on doing the funny stuff. Once, I'd, once I was about two years into... Um, two years into brand me, um, I thought, yeah, let's let's go let's go all in on the on the funny stuff. So I'd kind of been already been doing the authentic stuff. So using my own lingo and speaking in my own dialect in my posts and stuff. But yeah, it was really um, I really thought let's let's go all in on the funny. So yeah, total strategy was just do, do the funny stuff and all the tactics were around how how can I do that? So it was all about doing parodies. It was jokes. It was taking a piss. It was it was never seeing anything serious. It was always um, back to how can I kind of raise a smile uh, and hopefully let people learn stuff along the way. And what's it done for you over the last two years? Like that that kind of focus on your personal brand. What what's it done for you as a business? Well, like yeah. not you as a business, but for your business. It's it's kind of it's it's made me to I, I say one of the go to people for that kind of fun funny copy with personality. I'm kind of known now, which will always feel weird to me because I'm trying not to get ahead of myself. Um, but yeah, I get you know I get tagged in stuff all the time. I'm I'm asked to speak at events and on podcasts and on, on stuff like this, which I think is purely down to the, the fact that I've carved out that kind of niche in 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 terms of my style. Hang on, so you mean I'm not the only one? Not the only one. Sorry, mate. I've been cheating on you. <laughs> What's what's the most impactful post you've ever written? So, like, and by impactful, I mean helped you grow your business, and not not just like vanity metrics, like you got a bunch of likes and comments and shit. But what's the most impactful thing that's actually driven some sort of revenue for you? I'd say there was two. So there was one before I went all in on the funny, um, or all in on the comedy, I suppose. And then there was one um, once I'd kind of I understood what my voice was a little bit more. So the first one was just a little throwaway post back in, I think it was 2018, which is how to charge more for the same thing. And I, I did three descriptions of sausage on toast. Um, so the, the basic one was like sausage on toast, two pounds. And then it was two sourdough, uh, two award-winning linkages sausages on sourdough toast, four pounds. And then the last one was like, you know, a fucking M&S ad or something. It was like 40 words long. It was just, it wasn't even copywriting. It was just, the power of <laughs> flowery adjectives, but that got like a million views. I got like 300 inquiries, just got a shitload of business off the back of it. So I was like, wow, this is like, if let me just harness that. How can I kind of replicate that? I never really did, to be honest. The, the, I mean, I got a load of followers on the back of it. So obviously my engagement for subsequent posts was a little bit higher um, or the audience was a lot higher, the reach. Um, but it was only really, um, yeah, like I said, once I'd, once I'd gone in all in on the funniest stuff um, and started doing more storytelling, um, it was a, a story that I wrote about the day my mum told me that my face was going to explode if I eat any more chicken, chicken foo youngs, um, which I've, I've told this story a couple of times on, on various talks. But yeah, that was all about um, kind of the power of impactful language. So rather than my mum just saying, you, you know, son, you're getting a bit fat, you're putting on weight, she, she said, your face, David. Your face is going to explode. So for me, that that was <laughs> like, yeah, I was like, wow. I mean, only a mother could get away with saying that to her kid. But um, it was the, the like the, the carefully chosen words. It was David. It was quite stern. It was your face, like most important part of my body, is going to. So it's like a certainty. And then just the word explode. I just had you know envisioned bits of cheek flying off, hitting the wall. Um, so yeah, and and then the, the, the kind of thinly veiled marketing takeaway at the end of that was, 
um, whenever you're doing, you know, your marketing, your posts, whatever, and your emails, don't just tell people they should maybe start losing weight. Tell them that the face is going to explode. Um, and that was that. Really, I got I, again. I got a load of load of inquiries from people just saying, "Wow, you've you, you've told us something real in a uh, you know quite complex, but in a really simple and impactful way." And I got a load of business off the back of that. So they're the two that kind of stand out, really. Where so like you, you do a bunch on LinkedIn, and that's like where I first came aware of you. And I've seen you on like podcasts and like talks and things like that as well. What else do you do? Like, do you so you you don't own that LinkedIn? So I was chatting with Harry Dry a couple of weeks ago, and one of his main points is like his newsletter list. He owns that that list. That is his channel. Whereas LinkedIn, you don't own that. You're kind of you're kind of jockeying off the back of that. Do you do anything outside of LinkedIn? Yeah, and and that's I mean what Harry says there is is spot on, and it's I think that's so important to build build your audience and, and build that kind of list of, of potential customers away from the platforms that could chuck you off tomorrow. I know, I know um, I've certainly heard of a lot of, or a, a few more than a few people being chucked off LinkedIn for, you know, going a little bit too close to the bone with, with regards to their posts and what, what they've been saying and, and not adhering to LinkedIn's kind of guidelines. So the second, I mean, I get probably between 70 and 80% of my business off, off LinkedIn or I did, I did do before. I, 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 you know, started on the things that I'm about to tell you in a sec. Um, so for me, yeah, it was crucial to kind of make sure that I was building that audience away from LinkedIn. So I've been doing a newsletter now for about 18 months. So I've been building that up as well. Got about 11 or just over 11,000 subscribers to that, which are, there's a lot of them who've just found me on LinkedIn. And, and, you know, at the end of every post, top comment will always be, do you want more of this? Sign up to the newsletter. And that's, you know, that's, that's how, the, how I've kind of built that, um, Build the audience list, um, and I've got a, a, a good mate of mine, Eddie Schleiner, another copywriter. He, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, journalist, journalist through and through. That's where I started. Marketing's been like a, a bit of a learning curve. It's just seeing what works, seeing what doesn't. A lot of trial and error. So when I started that, the newsletter, um, my copywriter buddy Eddie Schleiner, he um, he runs VeryGoodCopy.com. Um, I had a couple of chats with him and he was like, this is what I do for my newsletter. Within every newsletter, do a link back to your socials as well. He said, so you're not only directing people from, you know, the end of your posts to your, to sign up for your newsletter, but within the newsletter, you're saying, yeah, go and look at these posts that you might have missed this week. Give them a like, give them a comment, give them a share. And then, of course, the second they do that, it opens, it opens the post up to um, a wider audience. So there was that kind of flywheel effect, which at the time like blew my mind i was like wow getting some proper marketing genius I'm stuff a marketer. Here. and it's like this is just like the basic of the basic i said really i need to do some kind of marketing course really don't i stop winning stop so, winning it so the the newsletter is obviously good because i've just had a, a slew of comments come through so david hudson says the newsletter is so good Kelly murray says i love the newsletter gonzalo pina says great newsletter uh, Lucy says 100%, 100% agrees and another LinkedIn user that I don't know. So it's obviously a good newsletter um, and I'm, I'm ashamed I've not actually found it yet, but I will go and seek it out. Yeah, you, you can you can um, you can sign up. I mean, like I said, it's hard to miss. I put a, I put a link to it at the end of everything I write on social. So it's, um, yeah, it's unignorable. Um, and you get to it from your website? Get to, me, get, get to it from my yeah. website, yeah, the webman.co.uk. Okay, so people can go and find it there as well. Have you, I know we were talking about getting away from LinkedIn as a platform, but have you played around with LinkedIn newsletter yet? No, I haven't. I, again, just purely for the fact that I think if you do it within LinkedIn, um, I think 
LinkedIn, you know, LinkedIn keeps all the, the contacts, don't they? So it's you can't kind of export all of their email addresses or anything outside of that. So I just purely use I use LinkedIn as me me kind of main place where I post. Um, it's like the the testing, the ultimate testing platform, I suppose. I'll post stuff on there. If it does well, great. If it doesn't, you know, I'm, I'm not really that arsed. But if if I can get sign ups to the newsletter, I always kind of plug the newsletter as. This is where you'll kind of get a little bit more to what I just post on LinkedIn. So it's, you know, behind it's, the scenes, just like the DVD commentary. It's the, you know, the secrets to my my crappy so tricks. I, I like I'm I'm a marketer through and through. Like as in like I like to test and break things and figure out what the fuck they do. And so I started playing with uh, LinkedIn newsletters and literally we'll take this video with a brief synopsis put it in there, we'll use it to promote the next video, but also direct people back to our website where you can sign up to like hear about the the newsletter and things like that. And the uptake of it is phenomenal. Like it, because it, it relies on your audience. So oh, it's definitely worth something playing around with. But anyway, I'm kind of digressing. This isn't about me. It's about you. Oh, it's all right. Anything, anything I can learn, I'll take. Like I said, I'm not a marketer. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a writer. So I will take any, any marketing tips. They're all, get, they're all going in there. So, other than being naked in the shower and reading shampoo bottles, where do you get your own personal branding post inspiration from? Because I mean, you're churning out loads of them, and it's not you're not churning out shit. Like, where is it coming from? Oh, everywhere, literally anywhere and everywhere. From I mean, look at the, the one I just said. The, the, the day my mum said my face is going to explode. <laughs> nothing to do with copywriting. Nothing to do with marketing. But if I can find a way to kind of like I said, put that thinly veiled link back at the end to why that's important. I think I, I can, well, I've, I've had a, certainly had a knack over the past couple of years of taking the most random of stories and just thinking, what does that mean in real terms? What's the, what's the takeaway there? What's the lesson? I don't mean like, you know, you see these LinkedIn gurus, like, you know, Emma Redicanu, um, Emma Redicanu winning at, um, the US Open. And then you just know, like the rest of their Sunday was fucked because they're just like, oh, how can I apply this to an inspirational art? And it's just like they're doing it, they're doing it the wrong way. I'm just thinking more like random stuff people have said over here in a conversation in the pub, maybe that's just make something a little bit out the ordinary that, that I haven't, I've never, oh, I've never heard that particular phrase or set of words used before. How can I apply that? And a lot of the time it is just back to, do something weird, do something unexpected that people aren't expecting because 99% of your competitors out there are doing the same old shite and it's all the same and they're using the same words. You can just do something a little bit off the wall, a little bit random. You're going to stand out a mile ahead of all of them. So, yeah, inspiration anywhere from Netflix, from, you know, whatever I'm reading, from stuff I've overheard on the, on the train. It's, it's the further away from kind of copywriting my day job, I can I can make the, the hook of the post, I think, the better because people aren't really asked about copywriting or marketing. They're, they're asked um, about what asked about what interests them and a weird, funny story interests them more than me prattling on about the best adjectives. Well, I think that for, like for me, like and I mentioned it in the intro, that's like n- not not my attraction to you as a person, but my attraction to your posts, I think, is very much around like they are relatable, like as in you can you can see how you've come to that conclusion or you can see where you're going with it or it's like a thought that you've had but not action on it. I think that's where the power of what you're posting comes from. Mm. Um, I've, I'm definitely going to pr- uh, pronounce this dude's last name wrong, but Phil Zomzor, I hope that was right. Uh, he has a question for you. He said, as a percentage of your time, what's the breakdown of delivery time versus marketing yourself time? And what advice would you give to people on that? What in terms of like client work and, and marketing work? Yeah. So like 
the split between you promoting you and you actually delivering your client work? I mean, the, the, the client work will always come first. It it, it, it has to. Like, I can't, I can't, I can't ever kind of ne- neglect that. Um, but yeah, the posts that kind of, and the, the marketing that fuels those, the, the, you know, those client inquiries, they're, they're equally as important. I suppose the time split. It's it's not a huge amount to be honest. I'd say probably if I'm doing you know if I'm working for a five day week, I'll probably spend a day on the newsletter and my posts and re- responding to people, and the other four days on either client work, my own admin, or or just other other kind of running the business stuff. And obviously I've got a little one now, so changing nappies as well. What do you think is key to writing engaging stories on social? I think this this this. I always break it down to three elements, which is a strong, unignorable hook. So if you can hook people in, like I said, people are, people are open, opening emails, you know, reading subject lines, seeing the same old stuff every day. If your line that you write as that opener is unignorable. So if you're offering something that they've never read or never had or never seen those particular set of words before and it interests them or they find it funny, they're going to read more. You're just going to grip them. You know, humans, by our very nature, we're curious. We slow down to look at car crashes and, you know, we press big red buttons, even though this, you know, it says don't push this button. It's what we do. We want to read more. And if if you can write something that interests people within that hook, they're going to read more. The second bit is to, which is is not easy for everyone to do it. This is the kind of writer bit. It's getting people from that hook to the call to action just by keeping things interesting within as a copywriter and as a, as a kind of former journalist with, with I'm taught how to do that. So I know there's loads of really kind of specific techniques to doing that, which is, you know, using, um, you know, characters and building up, um, you know, conflict and, and, um, you know, different, different literary, literary devices and wordplay and alliterations to make the, the sentence flow nice and, and make things kind of, easier to read i suppose so you can do all of those bits within that middle bit and then the, the last bit is just leave some kind of takeaway and it doesn't always have to be you know contact me for copywriting services which what is, do you uh, think again yeah agree it's like it's just leave somebody with a little takeaway like a even if it's just a, a punchline of a joke or and you, it doesn't even have to be i'm I, you know i'm focused on the comedy side of things but doesn't have to be that even just like a little something that they've learned they've made it, it's made whatever the two minutes it's taken them to read it it's made it worthwhile worthwhile and if you can leave people with a nice feeling at the end you know job done and it like i said it doesn't always have to be that, that forced so they're the three strong hook interesting middle and um a solid end just like storytelling one two three really nikki bruce has asked what do you do when you get writer's block I just move, move on to the next thing and know that it will pass. I mean, it happened. It happens to everyone, really. But if I'm writing something and, you know, it, the words just aren't coming out, I'll either move on to the next thing or I will just do, I think I do a thing called the splodge, which is just whatever it is I'm writing about. I'll just pour everything I've got in my head down onto the page. And it's a lot of it's just gobbledygook. But say I'm writing about, I don't know, Water, yeah, I've got a glass of water. Say so I'm writing about water. I'll go right. What can I write? Oh, thinking about water. Okay, it's it's wet. Okay, the oceans, oceans are made from water. Okay, what else? I oh, thirsty. Oh, at the end of like a run. Oh, you love you love you know necking two pints of water. So I'll just pour out all of this random thoughts all about that, and then just sit and then 
I'll, I'll, I'll leave it. I'll, I'll walk away. And then your brain just, <laughs> it's called incubating your brain after like a couple of hours, maybe I'll come back to it if I've had a pure, pure block after doing this bludge. Your brain will just start making these weird connections. And if you've got all of that stuff down on the page, you might start be able to look like one of these, you know, like a, the wall in, a, in a, um, a, a police office where they're linking all the different, you know, the, here's, here's the criminal, here's the, the five main suspects, all of the, the different bits of string. Your brain kind of does that while you're away from it. After you've done all of that thinking, the splodge at the start, come back to it and miraculously you, you'll start seeing these little links. And just by linking, often completely different two little ideas together that's where the, the magic is so yeah yeah Do you one is full journal and you carry around a moleskin in your back pocket no no i'm full i'm, I'm alan partridge i'm voice note city <laughs> uh idea for a television program <laughs> so it's yeah it gets a bit cheesy i listen sometimes i listen to them back and just cringe to death but um yeah, I mean, I've got a, I have got a, a note. I've got one of these adult etch sketch things, remarkables they're called. So I'll, I'll take notes in that. But yeah, just voice notes normally. When, when you move from journal to to copywriter to marketing world, was there ever that like friction from I think almost like journalistic integrity and kind of being wordsmithy to actually having to kind of fit things online and kind of keywords, all that kind of consideration? Did you ever go through that friction point? Not really, no. I mean, I've, I've never really, I've never really had to do the, the the keyword thing. I've never really gone too deep in like blog posts or anything like that. Now and again, when I'll do a website, obviously they'll say, "Look, we want to, we want to be known for, I don't know, you know, ceramic dildos. Make sure that those words are, are in the the top, um, you know, the, the top eighty percent of words on the page." So it'll just be like you know cramming it in. But yeah, it's it's never really been, um, you know, that that kind of. The balance between you know journalism all is all about kind of telling the story. I've tried to just stay as, as true to that as I can. I think that's that's what makes stories authentic. If if they read just like you're writing an interesting story to somebody without any kind of second agenda, without any um, you know lulling them into uh, a call to action at the end where you're going to try and hit them with a the pitch, you just kind of do it in a roundabout way, which is what's interesting or what's funny or what's going to engage them. I think you're gonna, I don't know. I certainly feel better doing it that way. I've never put, or maybe once in my life, I've ever put like a call to action where I've gone, contact me and I'll provide. It's just like not the dumb way. I'm I'm, I'm all about the inbound, and it's it's people getting in touch whenever whenever they're ready because I've give them I've give them away all of my ideas for free, and kind of demonstrating what I do and that I'm the kind of the go-to person if you like. I honestly didn't think we were going to touch on ceramic dildos today, but there you <laughs> I don't are. know where that came from. Ah, fine. <laughs> Life, okay. Um, I've got another question from a anonymous LinkedIn user. Uh, how would you recommend to ask boring folk how to get started injecting some of the funny on LinkedIn and Twitter? How did you find what your voice slash funny is? There's, there's no quick win, honestly. If you, if you're not funny, if you are boring, sad to say, it's it's hard to kind of inject it. Just accept the fact that you you know you're not going to be telling these funny anecdotes. I suppose the the best way. If, it, if it's not just about funny, if it's just about being authentic and getting you the real you on on, you know, on the page, the first thing I always say is to just record a conversation that you have with your mom or one of your mates and just listen back to that. At no point within that conversation will you hear the word requirements, facilitation, um, you know, kind regards. It's all they're all really short words like and and both and so and you know you don't hear therefore you hear both so 
if you can um, listen back to those real words that you're using within those genuine conversations and just try and have a look at whatever, whatever you're writing, have a look and see if you can substitute any of the words that you're only really using because you think it makes you sound more professional or more, um, you know, more intelligent. But by doing that, you're making things harder for the reader because they just want to understand things in a simple way. We all do. Um, so, yeah, so that, I think that's one, certainly one way to um, get the real across. But finding the funny, if you're not funny, if you're not naturally funny, just don't don't force it. I mean, I'm I've just kind of grown up loving just taking the piss out of stuff. And you know, I've got a group of mates who we just annihilate each other the first time we see we see each, if we haven't seen each other for a while. It's just insult after insult. You know, typical kind of lad, lad culture, I suppose. Um, but even growing up, it was all, you know, it wasn't inter- it wasn't interesting in anything but kind of comedy. It was like the fast show. It was Harry Anfield. Then it was The Office. And then it was Alan Partridge. And it was all of that kind of re- really funny and, and kind of daft stuff, which has kind of just been, been part of me. So for me, doing funny stuff, one, I, I enjoy doing it. And two, it doesn't feel forced because it's just it's what, what I've kind of grown up with. So just embrace embrace what you what you really like and, and go from there. Uh, Richard Shin's asked a question. So when you're coming up with new hooks or posts for your clients, do you sometimes force yourself to rein it in and play it safe, knowing that the client won't risk going with a tone that's even slightly off the wall? No, I'll let the, I'll let them rein it in. I, I will. It's, it's not my job to play it safe at all. I'll I'll push it as far as I think their tone of voice can can kind of hand, handle. It's a weird way of saying it, but you know, if they if their tone of voice is we're, we're edgy and we're um, you know, we, we push boundaries. I'm going to be as edgy and push boundaries as, as much as I can. It's up to you to then come back and go, ooh, this feels a bit, you know, we, we, we're not comfortable using a casual swear word in a subject line or even like an emoji in a subject line because we want to be professional. And I'm like, I'll always argue the toss and say, well, okay, let's have a look. If going from 0% kind of professional to 100% madcap, wacky and edgy, if like if they're they're quite happy at fifty percent and that's what they're doing, I'll 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 maybe you know present something at eighty percent or seventy five percent. If that's a bit too edgy for them, I'll kind of dial it down a little bit. But I'm never going to start at like average. Just that's not what they're paying me for. They're paying me to do the kind of other side of things. So I will always present something that they'll probably feel uncomfortable with. Nine times out of ten, nine times out of ten, they do. They just go nah, too too much like. I can't see JLR signing off on ceramic dildos, if I'm honest. <laughs> no chance. Uh, um, there's, there's an awful lot of shittiness in the world over the past couple of years, not mentioning that knobhead in the Kremlin. So how do you balance mm. humour in more difficult periods? Do you step off the gas or do you lean into it more? To be honest, I, th- I thought I'd kind of got it nailed when the whole COVID thing happened. I thought I'd got it nailed. Oh, you know, we're all in the same boat. We're all getting these you know, insincere messages from CEOs of companies that we haven't dealt with for 12 years, but they, they're suddenly asking, you know, how I am. But then, yeah, they, when, it, when they, you know, the, the war in the Ukraine started, it was just like, just I think it, it knocked a lot of people sick. Certainly did me. I was kind of, there was a couple of times that I thought, you know, I'm, I'm, is it right to be doing, continuing with the, the funny and daft stuff? But then I saw it on Twitter. I think one guy, I wrote about this in my newsletter last week, actually. Um, one guy had um, he'd done a tweet saying, um, "Pause your marketing. This isn't the time for marketing." And he got quite a few replies, including Ukrainians saying, "Fuck this! We need the distraction. 
carry on with the yeah exactly carry on with the funny stuff so that that's what I did I mean I'm not you know this this there was a, a guy who was pulled up for making a really crash joke about the war itself it's like fucking hell mate read the room don't don't do that by by no means do that but you can still have a you still have a laugh at yourself and still do the self deprecating stuff and still you know still do the usual stuff that you were doing before um before it all began but you know just just be a bit mindful about anything that could could be misconstrued well i think in times of adversity the the humor kind of helps get us through there's actually i've been following a journal a kiev independent journalist um over like he is obviously still there and every day his main gripe is about that he can't get beer in kiev at the moment <laughs> i saw that isn't it carlsberg or carling have, have been giving away all their bottles so they can make molotov cocktails like fucking hell talking about supporting people through a war like, um, Gonzalo Pina says, uh, to your credit, he, um, you've been both thoughtful and authentic um, with the Ukraine crisis. So his hats off to you. Ah, oh, nice one, Gonzalo. Meath, cheers. Um, so Aditya, um, Aditya, sorry, has asked another question. Do you even love it when you're writing for clients and businesses that you personally aren't too interested in? Does it affect your writing flow? Yeah. It's it's better when I'm I'm, in, I'm more interested in the brand. I mean, I I have done it, and some, something I still do. It's it's not all about kind of the, the funny side of things, I suppose. Um, clarity plays a key part. Um, so that there'll be some clients who they just they feel like um, they waffle a bit much, or they, they they're a bit boring, and they just want whatever they do. They want their proposition just decorporatifying, making up words now. Um, but yeah, de-boring. Want want them making a little bit a little bit clearer. Um, so. You know that's certainly one of the strings to my bow. Um, focusing on the clarity more, but yeah, I'd be lying if I said you know I'm not, I'm not more interested in the the brands who've got like a, a you know a funner product or um, like a service that is is quite exciting or something as opposed to I don't know tax optimization or something. It's like oh no, there goes my tax optimization client. I'm gone. Sorry, Clive. No, I'm joking. I haven't got a, I haven't got a client called Clive any anymore. Oh, he's gone. Do you um, do you find that people ask you to be the funny copywriter, or that through the humour when uh, when you, they take you up in the wider copywriting services? So they come to you to be funny, or they find you through being funny, and then it kind of they go into your wider services. And like, can you be famous for one thing but still deliver the other? Yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a few that come come to me just purely. Look, we, we want to do fun. And so some of them, I'm like, you know, you sure? It's like you're not you're not exactly in a fun industry, or you're not you know, um, it it can be tough sometimes. Not not that I won't give it a, give it a you know a well. I'll always try it. But it's back to what I just said, if you know, I'd I'd always I'd err more on clarity than kind of personality. I'd say that if we can make it sixty percent, sixty percent of the time, let's get it clear, and and the other forty percent of the time, let's go on the personality. I'll always kind of err on that. If people get get what it is and understand it immediately, that there's the kind of the job job the job is done more by doing that than kind of making people um, warm to the brand a bit more. As long as if they get it, it it's got whatever message you're putting out has got more of a chance of landing. So. Um, so yeah, is that kind of answer in around the yeah. I think I'd already kind of answered along, it in the previous Along the same sort of lines though. So when you're looking at client copy, how do you construct construct an engaging story without sounding inauthentic? Because obviously you don't live and breathe that that client. So how do you make it feel authentic? I suppose it's back to what I was saying about how, how to do an engaging story. Um I think 
authenticity comes from using language that feels real. So I'd say use simple language, substitute any of your kind of everyday jargon that you, you've kind of always been using for how you'd have a, an actual kind of conversation. Um, try and make it relatable to the audience. So think about the things that they're interested in or um, you know, what, whatever angle you're coming in on the story. Is it something that they're going to get? If you, you know, if you're going a bit too niche, like I said before, if it's all about tax optimization and like, you know, just going too heavy on the numbers, it's like it's only going to hit a certain amount of um, amount of people in terms of how, how it's going to be understood. Whereas if you're just more t- maybe taking the piss out of how boring accountants accountants are or, I don't know, just poking fun at um, something within the industry, a common problem that everyone's having. I think you're gonna, you know, you're gonna, it's gonna land with a lot more people just because they see it's relatable. Um, and then the last bit is just, just try and make it interesting. Try and try and make it funny if you can. Like, it doesn't it doesn't always have to be funny, but if, if you can find a funny angle, you know, which is just something that raises a smile, might be a little joke within there, or just something interesting, a fact that nobody knows, or yeah any anything kind of <laughs> just out the out the ordinary that nobody else is doing i think that's going to kind of make make you seem more authentic than just rehashing what else what everything else that's 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 out there um lucy thorpe has a, a question and you might have to give us a bit of more context for the room as well uh she says everybody's asking such good questions but i really want to know if you think simon sinek reads slash enjoys your insights from uncle tony no, I think I don't even think he knows the password to his LinkedIn. I think he's that far removed from it. And I know, you know, the, the stuff I do, the stuff I do about my my great legendary uncle Tony. Um, it's, it's I'm not having a go at Simon Sinek. There's, there's, I mean, I've seen some of his videos. He makes a good point sometimes. He's quite articulate. He, he talks a lot of common sense, but then somehow. On his social media feed, whoever he's outsourced this, you know, this content to, they're just taking these, you know, truisms, these vacuous, um, inspirational kind of posts and putting them up there without no other context, and they just they're, they're there to be they're there to be kind of made fun out of. So um, I'm very lucky to have an uncle Tony who's lived such a um, a weird and wonderful life um, that he's always got uh, a way to to debunk whatever is being said. So, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, there's a, a few people who are saying they love a good Uncle Tony story. What advice would you give to someone short on time but needs to produce content? So a, a small business owner or a startup? I'd, I'd say first and foremost, be helpful. So back to what I was saying before about the, the, the final part of whatever you're writing, um, having some kind of takeaway, just fo- focus on whatever that is. So it doesn't matter whatever industry sector, whatever you're in. If you can put stuff out there that's helpful, you're going to be known as, or the, people will remember you. Oh, they, you know, they gave me that bit of advice, or I learned something new there. And even if they don't do business with you, then um, chances are they're going to they're going to um, come back to you when the time's right. Um, and it's it's very much the long game. But yeah, just being helpful, number one, you can help people. Um, so Katie Katie Murray's asked a question. And I'm going to add to it as well, but she's asked. Oh, somebody else has just asked a question. It's gone. Uh, which other copywriters do you suggest reading or following? And I'm going to add to it. So, who do you follow in the growth space? So, how do you keep up to date with what's going on? So, who are the copywriters you follow, and who else in the wider kind of growth marketing sales space do you follow to keep up to date with? So, um, copywriters. I mean, I'm talking some really, really top draw copywriters here. You got the likes of Vicky Ross. 
um on all of these people are active on on twitter and linkedin um you've got eddie schlainer i mentioned it before so he's very good copy um you've got dan nelkin um over, over in canada he's just he's just brought a book out um self self-help guide for copywriters which it, 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 one of the amazing things it goes into how to um craft headlines and, and all the different techniques you can you can do to to come up with engaging headlines, which I know is a bugbear of even the, the you know the most experienced copywriters, and he, he does it with um, he does it so well, and he's just really funny and smart, so that's great. Um, Chris Miller, he's he's brilliant. He's got the second best copywriters website out there, which leads me on nicely to Joe Coleman, who's got the best copywriters website out there. So check check out their two websites. Um, who else? Uh, Andrew Bolton. Um, he's really funny copywriter. So I think, yeah, that's that's the copywriting space. And then more broader, um, who have we got? So, um, yeah, Sophie Cross, who's she's the editor of uh, Freelancer Magazine. She's an ace marketer. You've got Joe Glover, who runs the marketing meetup. Um, you've got strategists um, like Diane Wiradu and oh, what's his name? Guy over in New York. Um, uh, Mark Mark Pollard, his name is. How can I forget him? Sorry, Mark. Um, so yeah, they're ace marketers, and then just funny people out, out there like um, Nick Parker. He's, he's a, I think he's a. Does he class himself as a copywriter? I think so. Yeah. Um, so he runs that, explains things. But every any writer is really funny, and you got Ryan Warman over in Melbourne, who, who's who's just hilarious. Um, so yeah, there's there's. There's nice. the kind of there's my go-to's anyway. That's what that's they're the people who anything they put out there, I just consume and I, I learn so much from them, especially the marketing people. Um, I'm I'm constantly learning new stuff. Lucy Thorpe's this is probably my favorite comment uh, from everybody today so far is uh, Lucy didn't even know who Simon was until she started following Dave. So. <laughs> Sound hey, does that does that does that class me as um, getting royalties? I could. I, I, I think that makes you an official influencer. Yeah, as well. I think I am. I'm one of the Simonians. Personal brand achieved. Oh, God. So my, this is my favorite question that I ask um, when we do these six sessions. Um, what's your biggest career fuck up so far? The one you learned the most from? Um, I suppose the biggest, the biggest gaff was went back when I was the editor of the, the customer newsletter, and um, hundred thousand people got this newsletter. And in massive letters um, on one of the the intros, the, the the customer was from Shropshire, and that was Shropshire, however you pronounce it. And I wrote Shropshire. Mm, that wasn't a particularly proud moment. That was a bad one. Um, yeah, Shropshire. It's a hundred thousand people. Sound kept me job though. No sweat. Um, but then yeah, this this. I suppose it, not so much a fuck up, but one that really changed my perspective on things up until. Probably, I'm say I've been freelancing six years now, so probably half halfway in, I was working with a, a founder, and I'd written some copy for them, sent it over to him, and I said, uh, "Looking forward to your feedback. Let me know if you want any changes." So I sent that. I'd been set. I'd been saying that all along to everyone. Well, you know, looking forward to your feedback. Send. So he came. He came back to me and he said, um, "How would I know what changes to make? You're meant to be the expert here." And I was like. Fuck! It was like a light bulb moment. I thought he's fucking right. I'm not there just you know writing, you know painting pretty pictures and writing daft stories for you to say. Oh, do you like it? Oh, you know, let me know what you let me know what you think. It's like I'm meant to be given the recommendations here. So that again, 
just learning as I go as a marketer. I was just like, right, okay, I'm gonna get you know professional Dave's head on here. Yeah, so, uh, so, so ever since then, I'm like, this is what I recommend. This is the best way to do it. Let me know if there's any if there's any kind of factual amends that need making. So I've just kind of tweaked it like that. But yeah, that was I think that was the biggest kind of light bulb moment where I thought I've gone from kind of amateur hour here overnight to like a professional almost almost consultant, which I'd never ever considered myself as that. I'm just a Silly story, right there, boy. So, yeah, shop, 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 shite, and you are the expert in the room. So That's good, the one, good yeah. takeaways, good learning. Two of them. There you go. <laughs> what's What's your plans for twenty twenty two? Yeah, more, more of, more of the same in terms of um, the, the kind of social content and building up the, the newsletter. Um, more folk, more of a focus um, this year, or certainly later on in the year, of um, some kind of product. So. Um, there's a book in in the pipeline, which I'm not really saying too much about at the moment until um, until that's been fleshed out a bit more. Um, I certainly want to do some kind of course on writing funny. I know there's there's already one out there about writing per, writing with personality from um, an, a, an amazing copywriter I never mentioned before, actually, Justin Blackman, Pretty Fly Copywriting, um, and um, I'll be doing a, a talk with him later on in the year for, for his um, his subscribers. Um, and yeah, I've, I've got a couple of ideas for kind of products which will help help people um, kind of write write stuff with more a little bit more personality, but more of a focus on the funny stuff. So they're certainly three of the, the key things. And yeah, just build building my newsletter audience up. Um, and yeah, just rate, raising my little boy and hopefully having my first game of Scrabble with him. Um, don't know if he can. Can you play Scrabble at eighteen months? No, who am I kidding? I'm gonna have to wait till he's. I'm gonna have to wait till he's about five. No, honestly, mate, nobody will play Scrabble with me. It's an absolute travesty. Love that game. That's what got me into the words years ago. And no one, no one will play it against me. Even though they're all, they're all in training because they're all wordled up now, aren't they? Everyone knows five letter words like the back of their hand. But yeah, well, Muggins here. I'm having to play my, Scrabble on me. My son is obsessed. He's three and he's obsessed with number blocks and he just counts everything across the house. And it, like, it was cute at first and now it's incredibly annoying. But, you know, I think he's going to at least be able to count cards in the casino at some point. Which Definitely. Honest, honestly, if he focuses on because that's all I did for me as a kid. Loves, my dad got me into Scrabble when I was like six and then before long I was battling him. And then I was like reading and reading everything I could, then writing daft little poems. And I've just been dead lucky to kind of been able to stay on that path and carry on doing it all, all throughout, even though now it's it's more, um, yeah, I'm, I'm having to kind of write, write more, more to, to earn money than just purely for pleasure. But but just, just by doing my newsletter and some of my social posts as well, you know, I, I do them because it makes me, make, makes me laugh. Certainly some of the really silly ones, like the, 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 just the, the, the absolute daft ones. I'll find myself, it sounds sad, but I'll find myself like laughing along to sort of have written and being like desperate to pull it out just to see what the feedback's like, um, which I don't often get to do that with, with, with client work because I'm having to kind of focus on key messages and stuff. So yeah, it's nuts. I'm afraid I, I kick myself every day. So last, last question from LinkedIn, how far in advance do you plan your posts or stories as a natural flow or do you have an archive of sorts? In terms of the planning, yeah, I mean, I'm coming up with ideas all the time. So I've got, I've got like a, a, a an ideas, work in practice, whatever you want to call it, um, document with all. I've probably got there's probably th probably th any at any one time there's like thirty different posts, not all written, not all fully fully written, 
I'll tend to write them either on the day that I'm going to be posting them or the day before. And the newsletter itself, I'll just, again, I'll be building up little ideas throughout the week and then I'll, I'll tend to write it either on the Friday when it, it's going out, um, when it's fresh in my mind or the day before, but not, not too far in advance. I'm not one of these who has like a, you know, a content calendar. I, I think the more you can write them on the fly, which you know, time permitting and, it's quite hard for bigger businesses to do this. They need these content calendars of everything scheduled in. But I think if you can do stuff on the fly, you can you can always add a little last minute change and a little reference to maybe something that's happened in a day. Or um, like last week, my newsletter. It was like it was all, it was all about the kind of how to how to approach funny writing at, at times of kind of sadness and and um, uncertainty and stuff. So you know, if I'd have written my newsletter three weeks ago even it wouldn't it wouldn't have been able to kind of work i had to write that it would only work you know writing it last minute so um so yeah tends to be um tends to be more, more closer to the, the time of publishing than than anything else okay last question for me and then i'll, I'll let you go okay. who should i interview next oh i mentioned it before nick parker he's so funny Yep. I did. I went to one of his talks. He's um he's all about tone of tone of voice, Nick. Um, he's got a got a great um newsletter as well called Tone Knob, um, which is the best name for a newsletter, Tone Knob. Um, where he he kind of does a, I'm going market here. He does a deep dive. I've never said that phrase. Um, he does a deep dive. Now he just he just takes a bit, a bit more of a kind of, um, an a, a, a full on analysis of um of a, a brand's tone and why it works so well and he'll just introduce you to so many really kind of smart smart businesses and brands who are doing doing the best stuff out there so yeah nick parker appreciate it dave thanks for being up for doing the six sessions with me if anyone wants to follow up with you how do you want people to connect so yeah, LinkedIn, usual the usual way, just search for my name. Um Twitter, I'm at WordmanCopy. So um LinkedIn is more more the, the kind of stories and business aimed posts, whereas Twitter's more of me taking the piss and making fun of the people on LinkedIn, really. Um so yeah, so that's they're the two places on the socials and then my newsletter, which you can get at my website, which is the wearman.co.uk. So Dave, thanks for joining us and thanks for joining us, everybody else, and great comments. So, my son, my pleasure. Cheers, everyone. Thanks a lot.